Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week, uh, actually, fun side story, this paper was sent to us by our previous intern slash research assistant, and for longtime members of the podcast, you may remember Trevor, uh, who uh, started the podcast with us uh, many, many years ago, uh, oh. and was a vital part of that um, for the first um, year or two, actually, of us doing it. Yeah, yeah. Go back, go back and check out some of the old marine mammal highlights on YouTube, and you'll see Mr. Trevor. Yes. Um, so thank you, Trevor, for sending this to us. And actually, it's great because this is a paper that um, I actually has kind of been waiting to hear about uh, because I've heard from you know it, different conferences and stuff, uh, and just within the marine mammal community of the work that this the uh, two different parts of the work that was being done uh, for this project. So very exciting for it to come, for it to be out. Um, so this was actually in Scientific Reports. Uh, the effect of startle eliciting device on the foraging success of individual harbor seals, Osa vitulina, by McKeegan et al. And there's uh, a lot of um, large names on here, <laughs> um, including Rob Williams and Aaron Ash, who is Oceans Initiative here in the Salish Sea, um, Vincent Yannick, who Kat knows very well over mm -hmm, from the yep, St. Andrews. Andrews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Alejandro Acevedo Gutierrez, who is here at Western Washington University and um, does work with harbor seals up in Whatcom Creek, where the base of the study site is. So, and then a few other people on there as well, but those are kind of the, the ones that jumped out at us. So a lot of great work. Um, and I actually initially heard about this, this device at the Salmon Recovery Conference, um, where Rob actually did, uh, Rob Williams did a, a presentation on it. So, and I'll talk about, about that a little bit as we get into it. Um, but this one is, uh, um, and this was literally like, like just published. Like, <laughs> hot, hot off, off the press. press. Yes, <laughs> hot off the presses. Um, so um, we'll get right into it, but it's, it's just a really interesting one uh, on the intersection of salmon recovery uh, and the, the hot topic, which we brought up, I think, in other podcasts of... Mm -hmm who's eat, who's who's the reason why the salmon are doing badly <laughs> um and what are the roles of marine mammals in the population declines of salmon that's really what this centers around um so they're trying to figure out how can we reduce that predation is kind of the big end goal i think of this and i think the neat thing about this one we have talked in previous podcasts about some other methodologies that have been used to reduce predation and this is using a non-invasive mm -hmm um options so instead of you know relocating the animals or instead of literally killing the animals um the predators they are just using sound to startle them away as they say in the title so we'll get and, right into it but. and this one is a bit different than normal acoustic deterrent devices which we'll we'll mm -hmm. talk about it's a very it's a very interesting um technology so just to give some a little bit of background, we started off there a little bit, but um, this, you know, the reason why they're doing this is because you're looking at uh, the in, the combination of a conservation success story where pinnipeds have been protected by the um, Marine Mammal Protection Act in 1972 and have rebounded quite well in many, in lots and lots of locations, including here in the Salish Sea, 
So that's great, but then at the same time, they do eat salmon um, and to varying degrees, depending on the species. Uh, but that then has increased predation rates on um, particularly commercially important and oftentimes at the same time, depleted fish stocks. <laughs> so, and we could do a whole different podcast on why there are so depleted fish stocks, but regardless, they are depleted. They are still important economically for humans. And so there's this, this uh, battle between that and the predation pressure that natural animals are doing on their natural prey. Um, and in particular, what this one goes to is not just like open ocean, like they're out eating salmon. This is at places where it's bottlenecked. So around where the, these animals are foraging around aquaculture pens, fish ladders, um, or they prey directly on fishery catches, things like that. So it's, it's a, it's not a, let's just put all these things out in the open ocean and keep things away. It's particular locations that they're trying to reduce the predations of on salmon. Yeah. And part of the reason that they focus on these specific areas that Cindy just mentioned is because predation pressure tends to be stronger in those areas, right? The animals aren't stupid. They know that the fish are going to be more heavily concentrated at these areas. And so that is where they will spend more of their time in order to increase the likelihood of their catching prey. These guys, especially harbor seals, are the definition of opportunistic eaters. They eat over 60 different prey items. So they're not picky. And they're going to be like, that was an easier catch. I'm going to go there. And you'll actually see in this data, which is really interesting, the individual variability of that. And certain individuals are really very smart. Like, okay, well, I'm going to, this is really good. I'm going to do this here. Um, so that's an important part of it. So um, it was important. I did like that they put in, in the introduction that, you know, the seals are not the reason for the initial salmon decline. <laughs> very, very important because it can be, you know, the a lot of the media and um, narratives that come out are, you know, the seals are the bad guys. They're eating all the salmon, blah, blah, blah. But they're not the reason why it declined in the first place. Like, I'm, I'm going to maybe spoiler alert or like unpopular opinion, but like humans are pretty much the reason for that, right? Our, you know, the way we can commercialize fisheries has decimated pretty much most fish stocks in the world. Um, so they're not the reason for the initial decline, but it, they are identified as one of the several factors hindering the recovery. So that makes sense, right? The fish are in decline. Anything that's eating them is going to hinder that recovery. And that includes seals. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, you know, they're looking at, uh, more non-lethal removal, uh, for, or deterrence, um, uh, because for the one part, it's difficult to get public support for lethal removal, which I agree with. I am yep, glad. I feel that like it should be should right. be difficult to get support for that because that's a pretty drastic measure. Right. And especially again for killing them for doing what they naturally do in a situation where we created the problem, right? So we are they are looking for more. There are places that have done lethal removals, but they are very specific and you have to know that particular individual and it's a very regulated thing. Um so what are the other ways that we can reduce the predation pressure there without hurting the animals um, like that. So the most common is what we, uh, they're ADDs or acoustic deterrent devices. This is basically just doing like a really big loud bang and scaring animals away. Or like a loud, like a loud bell sound. Like yeah. sometimes they actually have like a loud, like a high pit, higher pitch sound. Um, yeah. And these have been, the ADDs have been around for quite a long time. I mean, yeah, I remember hearing is. about these when I was at university, like over 10 years ago now, like there's, there's, this is kind of old tech really yeah. at this point. 
And go to do it for an old reference. If you know the, the movie Dumb and Dumber, there's a part where he goes, do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> you know, he does that. And like, that's pretty much what an ADD is. It's like, what's the most annoying sound you can do for that species? And, um, and make them get away from it. Um, but the problem with these is like going to a, a rock concert every uh, 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 often enough, you will get hearing damage. So you, these loud sounds can cause either temporary threshold shifts or permanent hearing damage to these animals. Um, and also habitat displacement for both the target species, which is kind of what you're wanting. You want to displace them from that place, but also non-target species. So, you know, it's a loud sound. It's going to be annoying for a lot of different animals, right? Mm -hmm. And they've done quite a few studies on this in Europe um, because they've used these significantly around uh, like fishing pens, but also for um, a lot of renewable energy construction. They've tried to use ADDs to keep animals away from um, things like wind turbines that are being placed into the ocean. And so they've they've got quite a lot of evidence to show that it does actually impact non-target species as well. And I find it funny that we're trying to quiet the oceans at the same time adding more noise to them. It's like, we yeah, it's ironic. I mean, I get it, but like that. Um, and then the other problem is that um, habituation can occur, right? So they just get used to it. It's the same thing as 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 you know, we have out in you know background ambient noise. You just get used to that it's there, and it doesn't you tune it out because otherwise your brain would go bonkers. So your brain tunes it out. Oh, it's not there anymore. Um, and then also interesting is that it can then also basically become a dinner bell. So then they hear that sound and they know that. There's a reason why that's there and i'm going to get more food there and if you can tune it out then there you go right as we said at the beginning these guys are smart and they are looking for opportunities to get an easy meal right you know it's, it's a hard life out there in the ocean the easier you can catch that prey the better so what this is is what's called a targeted acoustic startle technology or task um, and they have been doing uh, tests on these for quite a few years now, and it has been showing reliable lasting avoidance in harbor seals and gray seals, which is why you have the St. Andrews connection um, over in the UK. Uh, and so it's, it's they, they basically pinpointed the frequency or like amount of whatever that sound is to elicit the flight response for the animal. So it's short onset time sounds to elicit that acoustic startle reflex. So it's not even that the animals are thinking about it. They just go, oh my gosh, that's something scary. Um, so they field tested it in Scotland um, and then also in the Ballard Locks down in um, Seattle. Uh, and they did show that there was significant decrease in seal predation um, and uh, except for individuals with damaged hearing, <laughs> which so again, if you <laughs> right, if you have if you've been to too many rock concerts like uh, like my brother, uh, you have some hearing damage later in life, and you're not going to hear the same sounds as as a normal seal would. So, uh, and I thought that was interesting. Again, based on the noise levels we have in the ocean, how many animals do we have that are actually already damaged hearing? Mm -hmm. um, um, so this uh, a technology exploits the interspecies differences in hearing sensitivities. So again, they're they're targeting that particular species rather than just a loud sound that hits everybody. So hopefully, I mean, there's still probably going to be unintended animals that get affected by it, but it's going to be less so than just doing a blanket bang on a pipe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, the big issue, which we'll talk about uh, as we go here, is that the, um, 
individuals will return as they already shown with the habituation to the ADDs. So you have to scare them off repeatedly. And at some point with the old ADDs, they don't, they're just like, I, I blocked out that sound. Um, but the, the task is um, thought to be better at that because of the specific um, reflex that it's, that it's triggering, right? That it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be able to be more scary, I guess, <laughs> uh, than just a regular, regular sound. Um, so they were they're basically set that in um, Whatcom Creek, which is up in Bellingham, where there are hatcheries, and we'll get uh, a little bit into that. Um, and the reason also why they did that location is because they have documented through photo ID individuals that return to that particular area. Um, and there's individual variability in foraging success. So some do better than others. Some, um, so they could actually look at individual variability and differences rather than just did it scare off seals or the amount of time they were there. Um, and it's really important to understand the individual variability in harbor seals because everything they do, every aspect of their lives is variable within between individuals. They're very interesting that way. And really the biggest problem with all of this, as we've said with the ADDs and with the test is that you are trying to get those, what they term nuisance seals. Mm -hmm. So these animals that repeatedly come back and repeatedly come back and, and forage on these salmon or these fish that are, that are trying to be protected. These are the ones you're really targeting with all of these acoustic devices. And so knowing which animals those are and being able to keep tabs on them specifically and see how they respond to the test in this study is really, really important. Yeah. Those repeat repeat offenders, those are the mm -hmm. ones you're interested in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they they did it's a three-year study. Um, they they looked at three different things from 2019 to 2021. The effects of tasks on the duration of presence of forge and um duration of presence of the seals and foraging success went on and off in 2020. So basically they have a pre-year where there's nothing, and then they have the 2020 where they had the task on and off at different times, um, duty cycles and then off again in 2021. So they could look at the, that um, within that season and then across those three years of, of coming back and how and long the animals are there. Um, they compared within season presence to individuals across years presence. Um, again, so looking at that longer term, did the animals come back before and after the task? Um, and then compare um, those when, you know, looking, did the task re reduce seal presence and foraging success and look at that between the, inter it was it in under normal interannual variation or was it actually a significant difference between those? Um, so basically trying to see if task made any difference at all uh, mm -hmm. in that with outside of the interannual variability or individual variability <laughs> for that matter. So, um, so onto the methods, and this is an interesting one. If you read the paper, uh, it's one of the ones that puts the methods last, which I, I find I always find interesting because a lot of times you do skip the methods because if you're not if you're not into that field, like it's not really going to matter if you read the methods or not <laughs> to know what's going on. Um, so it, it goes introduction, results, discussion, and then you can go to the methods if you want to. Um, but uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about the methods. Um, so Whatcom Creek uh, has a nearby hatchery with Chinook and Sham Salmon. And again, Chinook, if you're not familiar here, Chinook is the big one that we're worried about. I mean, all of them are, but Chinook in particular, because that's what the Southern resident killer whales mainly eat. Uh, and it is a very endangered um, species of salmon. Um, they run October to December. So all of the top stuff we're gonna be talking about is basically fall um, because that's when the salmon runs are there and that's when the harvest seals go. 
Um, they have pupping and haul out sites nearby, um, but they don't know where the seals go outside of the creek because they just took pictures from within the creek. Which, again, we don't know a lot about um, seal movements uh, in water. Um, so they put the task at the base of the fish ladder, uh, and they worked with uh, WDFW, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, and under the Marine Mammal Protection Act, what they're allowed to do under those provisions. Um, they sound they play the sound at irregular or pseudo-random intervals, um, three days on, one day off. Um, and this um, they did that for a reason, because it favors um, possible mitigation effects over the experimental efforts in the creek. So having that variation made it better for the analysis, basically. And it also made it more effective for keeping the seals away right. versus just studying the effects of TAST without actually caring about what it what happened. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the ultimate goal here was to keep the seals away from the fish. Um, so prioritizing the mitigation efforts means that they are really prioritizing keeping seals away from the fish versus being purely scientific and just saying, well, what happens when we do it regularly? What happens when we do it irregularly, et cetera. And I like to think about it too. It's like when you're training a dog, like you're actually not supposed to give them treats every time because it then they're like, wait, am I going to get a treat? And they, they, it makes them, you know, be Expect. even more trainable. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So this also too is like, well, if they could figure out the timing of it, well, then they just go when it's not on. But if they don't know when that's going to happen, then it's more of a, oh, am I, I'm not going to go there because that might be there versus knowing when that, when that sound is going to be on and being able to avoid it. So it, it reduces the, their ability to deduce that if they're able to do so. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have a seal brain, so I don't know if that's possible. But... <laughs> okay. Um, so what's really cool about this is that, um, so, uh, uh, Dr. Acevedo Gutierrez's lab is at Western Washington. So all those tons of grad students and actually quite a few of the grad students that have done some of this work uh, have also come out and interned with us um, in the summers usually, but also we've had some in the um, other part of the year. So it's been great getting to hear about what they get to, what they do uh, there, but they basically go out for uh, four observations per week during slack time, because there was an influence on, on how high the water was on what they're able to get the fish or how um, successful they were um, at one of three locations and they took photos and they documented behavior. And so the great part about this is that it's land-based. They don't have to worry about boats and things like that. They can take photos and pretty much get um, great photos of the animals and see that they brought up a salmon and are eating it. Cause a lot of times seals will do that. They like, it's like, I mean, it's probably just easier to, easier to eat it at the surface, but I kind of think of it as like a cat being like, look what I got, I'm going to eat it in front of you. Look what I did. <laughs> um, at least that's what Calypso does in our study site. That animal. <laughs> Look, I got another salmon guy. Social media, you will yeah. know who Calypso is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me eat this right in front of you. Um, so they did photo ID. So they matched at least three unique markings and had two observers agree, which is uh, pretty standard in photo ID. You always want to make sure you have a second set of eyes going over it. We got our human. They have 181 individuals since 2011, so they've, they've been doing this work for a while. Um, they, um, the foraging success was um, was when a seal was observed eating salmon at the surface. Uh, and this was interesting because they had multiple events. If they had multiple events, they had to be spaced out at least 25 minutes apart because sometimes they may share the food other times, other seals may steal food, which we have seen at the study site. Uh, we've seen some some drag down, ball out fights <laughs> to grab salmon. 
So it could be that you you would say, oh, there's another predation, but that's not a predation, that's simply stealing or sharing the same prey. So, um, so they spaced that out. And um, they hatchery provided average abundance of salmon on a five day a five day rolling average, um, just so they knew about how much salmon was there at the time, because that will depend on how much gets predated upon. Mm -hmm. And then presence duration and uh, number of foraging successes for each seal were compared across the sound exposure and the control. So they basically played the sound for a month, um, and they used this is where we're going to gloss over everything. They used general linear mixed models. So look at that, <laughs> uh, and put all those different um, different things in there to see which one made the most impact. Uh, and then across years, they looked at the fall of each year and used a generalized linear model, um, examining the relationship of task exposure in 2020 and the likelihood of an individual returning later. So did the task stop them from coming back or not? Mm -hmm. Um, and exposure was was dictated as being in the area when there was more than five minutes with the task on. So they had to have a, some level of exposure. It wasn't just like, it beeped once and that was it. Um, so that's what I have about methods. Do you have anything to add, Kat? Nope, I was just thinking you did a really good job of coming that up. Excellent, thank you. Um, glossing over the whole statistics part. <laughs> yep, we know, we know you love it. We yep. know you're thanking us for it. So we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So with that, we will take a quick break and we'll be right back with the results. Hello, listeners. This is Cindy, the research director at Pacific Mammal Research. And I wanted to take just a minute to thank you for listening and supporting our work. And I wanted to see maybe if you wanted to learn a little bit more about the background of what we do and what we see in the field and other kind of cool information that you can get by subscribing to the podcast for only $5 a month. You can get uh, ad-free episodes as well as these many episodes where we discuss the things we've seen in the field, the stuff we've gone to with workshops, uh, and other little interesting tidbits of information for our subscribers only. This is a great way to help support PacMam, who we are a very small nonprofit, so every every dollar helps us continue the work that we do and provide the information and the fun podcast that we have uh, that hopefully you guys are are enjoying. So if you can think about it, subscribe to the podcast and help support our work, and we hope you enjoy. All right, we're back. So. The results, the nitty gritty. So I was I was impressed with this, um, the amount of photos that they have. Did you read how many mm -hmm. photos they had? They had 12,254 photos. <laughs> I would love to count the number of photos that we've taken. Oh, I'm sure it's a lot. Because I just, it got me thinking. I'm like, good point. We don't really like add them up, like the number no. we took and then how many were actually selected. We should. Hey, that's another intern thing. We should go through and take yeah. all the, the, the pictures because we have a lot. Uh, and then, I, but it's interesting because they, 11,871 of them were usable. So that's a very high percentage of usable photos. And, you know, they do have the, uh, they're closer <laughs> than most people are in any, either boat or land-based stuff. So that certainly helps, but they did have a long lens as well. Um, so they've had uh, 98 different seals uh, during these 30 observations um, that they had with the task, uh, and 66% of those were seen on multiple days. So many of these seals are not just one-stop shop. They're like, this is a great place. That's my grocery store. I'm going to come back. Um, 
18 were ID'd prior to test and then 15 returned during the test. So most of the ones that they ID'd previous to doing any kind of sound exposure came back. Um, 67 of the 98 that were exposed to the task in at least one observation, and 85% of those were there for more than one observation of the task. So they basically were like, they're still here, they're still doing it. Um, and many of those returned repeatedly. So 45 of them returned repeatedly, even after the task was on. Yeah. So just for context, that's 55% of the animals returned for, I believe they said three or more separate exposure periods. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started reading it, I'm like, well, this is, isn't this showing this is the, the opposite of what you wanted because they're coming back, but it's not, it may seem it, but it's not. Um, the duration of presence, uh, uh, there was individual variability in how long they were there, but generally it de did decline, the, the, the amount of time the animals were there. Um, and there was significantly less time the seals spent in the area with the task on. So there was an effect, like they still came back, but they're like, maybe it won't be on this time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which on. again, makes sense, right? If you have that easy of a prey source and mm -hmm. you know that it's there, if I was a seal, I would probably come back and just try my luck again and be like, hey, well, let me, let me go see if it's on again. Let me see if the sound's any less scary this time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That does make sense. sense. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a good little honey hole. So <laughs> why wouldn't you try? You know, if you get stung by a bee, you're probably going to go back anyway because there's honey there. You know the honey there. Um, and then, so there was a 45.6% reduction in individual duration of presence with the task on. So they spent, let they uh, significantly less time in the area when the task was on, even though they repeatedly came back. So it, it was doing what they were wanting it to do. Um, foraging success, they found they had 148 salmon by 38 different seals. This was 39% of the 98. Um, so there was, you know, a, a fair amount of good um, success. 87% returned and foraged at the creek after the test exposure. So again, these, these individuals who know that this is a good honey hole are going to keep trying. It's just what they're going to do. Um, 55 seals were observed foraging for, um, oh, I think foraging during the exposure in controlled conditions. So they had 55 that were seen when there was no sound and then when there was sound. So when they compared those, 33 caught uh, one or more salmon, 16 consumed more salmon during sound exposure conditions. Um, That's about and, half. That's yeah, about, about half, half of, of it, the, yeah. the number that were successful in getting a salmon at all, about half of those were consuming salmon during sound exposure. Right. And so you may be like, well, that, gosh, that didn't seem like it worked. But if you're counting down from 100, that's a 50% reduction <laughs> in how many they ate. So it actually is pretty good. Um, so I, I had to keep doing that in this paper where I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like, oh, no, but yeah, if you look at it the other way, it is a significant decrease. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a significant decrease in the predation rate with the test on 37% fewer foraging successes across all individuals under the sound exposure or 43.8% for the successful individuals under both task treatments. So between 40 and 50% reduction in predation is basically what it comes Which to. Which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and again, you're like, oh, they're still doing it. Like, but yeah, no, but a lot, of, but not, not well, not well anymore, <laughs> not well as well. Um, so then when they looked across the years, 
they found um, there's 119 seals, 41% were seen over multiple years, only 16 were seen in all three years. So I thought that was interesting. There's some that are returning and I, I we are working on a seal paper ourselves right now. Um, our research assistant Sierra is heading that and we are seeing a similar thing where there's certain individuals that keep coming back and then other ones that, you know, conceivably don't. I'm sure we've missed some of them, but you know, um, a, a lot that are maybe just going around different places. So uh, very interesting aspect of harvestia life, I find. Mm -hmm. um, so 42% returned uh, 2020 during the, the exposure period and then in 2021. So again, close to half are coming back. Um, let's see, I've, oh, it, for every one day increase in, in 2020 presence. So the longer that they were there, the one day longer they were there in 2020, was associated with a 65% increase in the odds of them coming out in 2021. So the longer they were seen in 2020, the more likely they would have seen them again in 2021, which goes back to which that makes individuals. Sense. Yeah, that's the ones that are really think that this honey hole is awesome. They're gonna keep doing it. Um, the greatest number of salmon eaten was highest in 2020 with the task off. So that's the control. Uh, and there was some variation with you know how much salmon was in each year in 2020, I think was a relatively higher year. So some of that goes in there, we'll talk about. Um, but there were 49% fewer seals present during task on. So again, close to 50%, like pretty much 50% fewer seals. Mm -hmm. So if you, I mean, any kind of mitigation of, uh, effect, if you're getting a 50% reduction, that's really good. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, there were uh, a few salmon that were consumed under exposure conditions in 2020. So again, that reduction in them actually getting the salmon during uh, when the task is on. Um, and 62% decrease in salmon consumed by all seals present under task uh, when the task was on. So that's, again, a huge amount decrease. Um, and then I'd like to put this, I was like, more salmon were eaten when there were more salmon there. Okay, so the yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, and at higher tidal heights. So some of the variation you have between years is simply because the salmon runs are better that year. Um, and I guess at the higher tides, it's easier to grab the salmon. Mm -hmm. so. so that's the results. Um, so to discuss, um, it's pretty much you know the 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 if you go away with nothing nothing other than this close to 50% decrease in individual dura time duration that the seals were there and decrease in individual foraging success under sound conditions. So 45.6 and 43.8 respectively, you know, close to 50% reduction in how much time they're there and how much they actually get to eat. So you're saving a lot of salmon at that point. Yeah. And that seals, because you're not killing them. Win-win. There's that. Um, so the effect varied between individuals, which I said at the beginning was going to be kind of the, the song going on here, um, 42 42% 42 of the variance in the models was explained by CLID. So huge impact on who that individual is, those nuisance seals that are really good at exploiting this particular thing. So it's mm -hmm. the fact that they come back and they're really good at doing whatever needs to be done at that location to catch that sample. Right. Every seal has different um, skills, skill sets, <laughs> and foraging abilities. And so some are going to be more adept to it than others. Um, so this one one other important part that we're, we've kind of 
talked about here, but specifically it's that motivation. So we already talked about the fact that, you know, some, some of those might be have bad hearing. So they're deaf, right? Or whatever. They can't hear the test. It doesn't matter that it's there. Nah, that's fine. But it could be that motivation to forage is stronger for some seals. Um, and that has the same thing with, with the acoustic deterrent devices, the ADDs. Some are just going to be like, I can deal with it. I don't care. Mm -hmm. This is good for me. And again, uh, for some of them, it would depend on the risk reward or vice versa, right? So if you're, if you have to tolerate a loud sound, but you get a salmon out of it, yep. more, some seals might be more willing to tolerate that, that discomfort or that disturbance to get the fish than others. Just like some people will go to a concert because even if it's loud, they'll, it's worth it to them. And other people are like, uh, no, that is not good at all. Yeah. Um, and there could be, you know, maybe they're younger juveniles, maybe, maybe their hearing range is slightly different. Maybe they're just really hungry. And so it doesn't matter. Or they're pregnant females that like need calories. You know, there's a lot of reasons to go into that motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, there were five seals that were seen weeks before the, the turning on the task and then during the task. Um, and even though the foraging success was reduced and most seals came back after being exposed. So again, they were, that's that motivation. They got food there before, um, it's worth the risk of going back when the sounds are going on. Mm -hmm. I will say too, this does also feed into, from a slightly different angle, this feeds into a little bit of what we talked about with the ADDs and the fact that they can result in long-term displacement. Yeah. Obviously this was not, I mean, this was done over consecutive years, but it wasn't necessarily a long-term exposure study. But at the same time, I thought it was interesting that if part of your goal is to not displace the animals fully, you're not trying to exclude them completely from the area. You're just trying to deter them from eating. Um, that also was really encouraging that they weren't just, they didn't just, you know, abandon the area entirely. And now you've completely changed this animal's um, foraging pattern and strategy and, and life, life history, really. Because it may be that they're feeding on, they again, feed on 60 different things. So they could be coming there and feeding on other fish at different times of the year that if they right. completely get blocked out of that area, now you've, you've messed up their ability to feed year round rather than just during these times. Yeah. So yeah, I just um, wanted to point that out. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point. Um, I thought this was funny too. Like maybe some of the seals were smart enough to swim with their head above the water. And they're like, I don't even hear it. That's a good point that you don't think about. No. <laughs> They brought that up and I was like, that's brilliant. You don't think it's true. Yeah. They stick their head out of the water. No, not much more. Um, so, um, and we brought up this up before, but this is an important, an important point for the idea of this, how individually variable and these nuisance seals. And I, I kind of don't like using that term because it's like they're nuisance because they're doing what they do and they're doing it well. Sorry, seals. Yeah. But it's a good description of the individuals that they're looking at to, to try to, to restrain. Um, but the, there has been talk about calling seals here in BC and Washington. Um, and just like, take, you know, they'd have to take out like, was it 50% of the seals or something ridiculous? It was a really large mm -hmm. percentage that they had to take out and to see any kind of difference for it. But also this indiscriminate killing isn't going to work because then you just, and then you just, killed a whole bunch of seals that weren't the problem and then you maybe didn't kill any of the ones that were the problem and there's so you still have the problem mm -hmm. right and you now destroyed a lot of the part of the ecosystem that um is messed everything up basically so mm -hmm. i think it's really it drives home the point that if you're going to do lethal removals at all it has to be what's been done 
previously, like down in the Ballard Locks, that for the sea lions, I think it's stellars that they have the ability to go in there. But you have to document that this individual is a particularly bad one that keeps coming back. You have to have documentation of that, and then you're allowed to take that animal out. So it definitely shows there are certain individuals that are worse <laughs> than others um, in terms of this predation. Um, also the other part was that the, um, where the individual was in relation to the task. So it only has like a what, close to what, 50 meters that they, that mm -hmm. the sound would go. So if you're beyond that, it's like, well, I can hear the rock concert, but it's not that bad, right? You're in the nosebleed seats versus being right next to the set stage, right? <laughs> um, so if you have your head above water or you're far enough away, you may they may have counted you as there during this during the task being on, but you weren't really being affected by it. the seal was not being affected by by it. So right, and there there are certain areas within they they made a note that there are certain areas within the study site too where there might have been some noise shadows. So like maybe the animals were sort of sheltering in those areas where it was less loud. Um, so again, just really taking it taking into account the environment that they are working within. Mm -hmm. Um, and you do have to be very conscious with acoustics that sound propagates differently in water. And so like taking note of these acoustic shadow areas, um, anything like that, that they didn't necessarily account for within the study in terms of having multiple task devices placed all over the, the place you know, they had like, they had them placed at specific locations. Mm -hmm. Um, just really important again, to know in addition to individual creation, what other little pockets of, of peace were they creating without really needing to in that area? Hide in this little grotto and be- Right, exactly, exactly, yeah. And also they, they noted, you know, the river soundscape, and I've been to up by Whatcom Creek, um, and you know, as it's coming down, that it's much louder than in other places because the water's falling off of rocks and you hear the rushing of the water. So that is going to affect the transmission of any sound device that you put in there. So you do have to really know where you're putting it, what are your, are, do you, are, are you trying to just do like a blanket thing? Or are you going to try every little nook and cranny to make sure that it really gets to every single part? You know, that's stuff you have to take into consideration when um, putting these devices out. Hmm. Um, so I love this, the task exposure didn't decrease the likelihood of an individual returning, which as Kat said before, is great because you're not trying, we don't want to get, remove them from the habitat. Like they should be allowed to come here. Um, you know, so the seals we saw regularly are going to continue to forage there, same as we, we see in ours, like some of them are just going to come, those individuals are going to come back. But that 62% decrease in salmon consumed is what we're talking about in while the test is on, even though the animals were still coming back, they were not nearly successful as successful in determining. And so I think it is a really great balance where they're still getting some of the salmon as they should, like they, we should not be like, you can't have any salmon because it's an issue. Like we want your, we want your, <laughs> we want your salmon. <laughs> That's not fair. So you're still getting it, but you're reducing the take just as we should reduce our take in what we take, you know, from it and balance that. Right. So I think that was a really cool, uh, it's really hopeful for this technology. Um, there were interannual variation between conditions. And again, um, it may be that the higher seals present in salmon consumed in 2020 versus 2019 was due to some seals um, waiting till the task was off. You know, they could have been like, oh, it's gonna hang out here and then show up when it's off and then do more. Um, or that there was just increased salmon that year, that was a higher number. Um, but they did say that 2020 was in the normal range of interannual variation uh, with the salmon. So the difference might just be other environmental variability that we don't know about. But so there's always gonna be differences between years, but it didn't really um, affect the, the outcome of 
you know, what they're seeing. It still was a really good, effective um, technology. Um, so, uh, so the, and so the, the most important thing is that it, it, it worked and then it was consistent. So continually, even though seals, had, they didn't become habituated to it necessarily, like they didn't care about it. Maybe they kept coming back, but it still scared them from being able to forage as efficiently as they, as they could. Um, and maybe too, you know what, the ones that didn't come back, maybe they don't have the ability to extra fat stores to be able to deal with it and still survive. And that's good, right? They should go somewhere else and go do it. And these guys had enough extra extra pounds on them or whatever that said, I can miss a salmon or two and I'll still be fine. Um, who knows? Yeah. So the, the end product is that TAST is effective at deterring harbor seals from preying on adult salmon. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be habituating and it allows them to come back to the area. It just reduces their success and maybe the amount of time that they're there as well. Um, but as Kat noted earlier, to be effective, there needs to be sufficient and homogeneous unit coverage. So making sure those shadows are not in there, like maybe, maybe this would be even more effective if they had accounted for any of those possible acoustic shadows or little uh, acoustic groves where <laughs> they can hide away from the sound. Um, and then there needs to be regular reinforcement, i.e. deployment within and across years. Um, to you know, outweigh that motivation to return to forage. So this was again showing they came back the next year, but then they're like, "Well, oh, hey, sweet, it's not here anymore." Um, so if they had it every, you know, during each fall, then perhaps it would show even an even greater, um, you know, reduction in salmon predation in that in that area. Um, they did just a couple other things they had in there. Um, they they only had the task in there for about four hours at a time. So, because that's the high tide, right? So there, there's variation in how long you can have it out based on what the tidal cycles are. Um, they only observe during the day uh, because we can't take pictures at night. <laughs> so kind of negates that. Um, and there are other places that show high rates of nocturnal foraging. So the task wasn't on during that time. So it's you know possible um, if you had it on during that time, you would do even more, that kind of thing. Um, and then I did like they brought up this one point, which is, you know, we kind of touched on this is that, well, if they're not eating here, they're going somewhere else. So are you just moving the problem down the line? You know, are they moving to another location to eat other things or to eat salmon in other locations? Um, that's something that has to be looked at when you're using this kind of um, habitat displacement kind of, um, or at least keeping them away from it, at least for some amount of time, um, could be an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, I like the, a lot of studies now too are kind of putting it in context of what this means in terms of conservation and what needs to be done with this technology, which is great, right? Give some some actionable things you can do at the end. Uh, and so they suggested that individual specific management methods are needed with things like TAST, because um, again, like some animals keep coming back, so you might have to relocate some of those individuals or possibly combine with a lethal thing if that individual is really a big problem. Um, hopefully not, but that's an you know option. Um, and any management should be conducted in conjunction with long-term ecosystem restoration and stock-specific management to support Pacific salmon recovery. So, you know, it's not just TAST. Maybe you're using TAST and some other conservation measures to make the most out of um, uh, the situation and reducing as much as you can. Um, but we also have to look at that long-term uh, monitoring of it um, and also restore 
restore these these places that the salmon need <laughs> and the seals need and humans need. Um, so it's not just about stemming the problem of some, some species eating too much. It's let's fix the base of the problem, which is the fact that there's not enough habitat anymore and other things that we're doing to help salmon recovery. But this is something to, a tool to use in conjunction with all of those things to better the, um, the environment as a whole and not just trying to put a bandaid on the problem, right? This is a, a tool to help, but it's not, a, it's not an answer in itself. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because again, the seals are not actually the main problem. Right. They're just doing what they're doing. Um, oh, and so on that, I think, okay, this is a great way to end it. Um, I just got a kid's book. Okay, to it, this makes sense. Bear with me. There's a kid's book. Uh, I just went to the Scholastic Fair with my son, and it says seals are jerks. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. I had to buy it just because of the title. As this little kid and the seals are like, are not. And then it's a little penguin on the other side going, are too. <laughs> and it, it dictates this girl going through, like she loves seals and she doesn't think that they eat penguins. Um, Cause this is like Antarctic seals. Uh, and so then she goes on a thing and she finds out that actually seals do eat penguins. And so now they, she's like, but it's, we're just being our natural selves. This isn't like anything bad. And then she's like, you can't be my favorite anymore. But it goes through the that of her realizing like no you can still be my favorite and eat penguins like that's I I'm not being a jerk I'm just being a natural animal in the natural world doing what I do, and that's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought it was great. So seals aren't jerks. Um, they are just doing what they're doing, and some of them do it very effectively. Uh, and so it's a balance of figuring out how can we reduce that, but still allow them to have some of the some of the take as well, uh, and live in harmony with our seals, mm -hmm. our seal friends. Um, so I, I do like this, um, this technology and for the many reasons that we already talked about that it, it doesn't reduce, it's not just putting crazy noise into the ocean, it's reducing, it's being more targetly, you know, specific to a specific species. It's not keeping them away from the area necessarily, it's just reducing how much they're able, how well they're able to, to prey, um, to do their predation events there. Uh, and so hopefully it can help be one of the tools to help with salmon recovery. Yeah, and I'll be really excited to see how they continue to use this technology in the future with other species. It'll be really, really interesting to keep watching. So yeah, keep your eyes Yeah, because I mean, you could just you know figure out what the startle response is for a different species and then you know use that for other things. So it could be, could yeah. be a very great tool for future conservation um, yeah. in a variety of things. So. Um, with that, that will be, um, that's the effective startle, startle eliciting device on the foraging success of individual harbor seals uh, in scientific reports by McKeegan et al. And the um, link will be in the show notes and it was open access. So you should be able to grab it uh, if you want to read it. Um, and thanks again for Trevor. Shout out to Trevor for sending us the paper. So we had it in time to do the podcast. Super excited. Mm -hmm. um, so next time will be a Marine Mammal Highlight. Um, we, I, as long as Instagram is not being mad at me again, you will have the chance to vote. Uh, again, last time, I don't know why it wouldn't let me do it, but it wouldn't. Um, so hopefully keep an eye on your Instagram stories and Facebook stories for being able to vote on which Marine Mammal we will do next. And don't forget to check out our merch store. Uh, lots of cool merch there and donate if you feel you can, um, because all the donations that we go to the nonprofit and go back into producing 
the content like this that we share with you and also doing the research um, and keep an eye out we'll, as we go through this year because we'll it'll be Sierra's paper uh, the seal, seal paper will be our first one on harbor seals so very excited to um, get that out um, in the near future to get reviewed so uh, keep an eye on our newsletter and our website. Uh, again, check out the website because Kat did an amazing job upgrading our website. There's lots of cool stuff to look check out there. So um, check it out. And I think I think that's all I got. Good job. Good job all right. summarizing all the bits. All the bits. All <laughs> right. So with that, we will see you next time. And remember, seals aren't jerks. They're just doing what they do. We and love seals. He loves it. They're awesome especially curtis curtis <laughs> is one of our favorites he comes yes. back shout out to curtis the seal named by my dad mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. so you guys know and so yes we'll like, leave you with that <laughs> yeah since like 2015 like that's a right he's a regular we like <laughs> all right we will see you next time bye bye this was brought to you by pacific mammal research a 501c3 nonprofit organization check out our website www.pacmam.org that's p-a-c-m-a-m to learn more about us our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks!